0: this is part two of a two-part interview I did with David Koizis. Uh, His book, Political Visions and Illusions, has been so helpful to me. Uh, It helps explain and define some of the terms like Uh, capitalism liberalism socialism nationalism Uh, i want to highly recommend the book to you you can find a link to it in the show notes Uh, we had a ton of fun in this interview and it ended up going for over an hour so that's why we have got it in two parts if you haven't listened to part one i want to encourage you to do that now that way you're tracking with us Uh, without further ado here's part two of my interview with david koises so socialism communism marxism uh, as an American, these are usually derogatory. Yes, Like exactly. you said, socialism yes. has, has yes. maybe gotten a little bit softer. Uh, at least for the conservative, right. politically-leaning folks in America, yeah. I think they are still oh, nasty yeah. words. Oh, absolutely. That's right, yeah. Uh, and perhaps some of that comes from... The abuses of power that we've seen as those Absolutely. have been enacted. You know, in oh, the yeah, you keep right. you've used the phrase multiple times in the real world. Yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> so we have these ideas, these political visions. Yes. Uh, and sometimes they're illusions. Product yes, placement. That's right. Bias yeah. book. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you know, I think I think virtually every ideology, even liberalism, um, has the potential to, be, to become totalitarian in some fashion. You know, so it's not just communism, it's not just, you know, national socialism, Nazism, or, or fascism, you know, it's, but, but nationalism can become totalitarianism. I think even liberal individualism, ironically, can become totalitarian as well. Hmm. And hmm. that's something that, that, um, that uh, I, I've been thinking about more over the last uh, few years. I think there's some of that in the second edition of Political yes. and Illusions, much less so in the first edition, which came out 20 years ago. But, um,
0: yeah, say, yeah, say more about that. I, I, I engaged your work in the second edition. I think I told you, I I flagged like every fourth page, as you can see, uh, excellent, excellent book. And it really helped me, uh, it really helped me, uh, not only remember my high school civics class, uh, but also get a, a, a better handle on how, political ideologies have progressed over time. You do such a great, almost like a narrative flow of this begets this and socialism kind of comes after um, liberalism. And, but you have this chapter, uh, this section on nationalism, right? And that's a word that in America, uh, for most of us, it's new or new ish. We're in, in our uh, rhythms, we'll say things like one nation under God, Right. Uh and by nation sometimes we mean state or yes. government or right. country. Yeah. But we also use nation to talk about um like we have a football team here, NFL team called the Raiders. So there's Raider Nation, okay. Okay. which okay. is <laughs> a group of people who like the Raiders. <laughs> yes, so yes. so we use Nation in funny ways. Uh yes. what is nationalism?
1: Yes, yes. Well I you know the um Again, there are different definitions of nationalism that, that are that are out there. Uh, you know, if if you are reading somebody like Yoram Hazoni, who's an mm-hmm. American Israeli political philosopher, he's 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 one of these national conservatives that I was talking about about earlier. For him, nationalism simply means that the world is divided amongst um, various nation states. Mm-hmm. You know, so but the, but the way that I'm using it uh, is is that nation comes to be regarded as the uh, as as virtually a god. Uh, hmm. you know the example that i would always tell my students most of whom had seen the um 1965 Rodgers and Hammerstein musical the um the, the, the sound of music okay and uh, you know there, if there there's there's one scene in that um uh in 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 there where um, rolf Liesel and rolf remember Liesel Liesel von trapp is the 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 daughter the eldest daughter of the um of of captain von trapp played by Canadian actor um, Christopher Plummer, and and there, there's one point where where Rolf, you know, her um, uh, presumably her romantic interest comes, and he's very stiff all of a sudden, and he mm. delivers a telegram to Captain von Trapp, telling him that that he's being, uh, I think he's being being summoned to become a naval officer in mm. because Austria has now been uh, taken over by Germany during the Anschluss in 1938, and uh, and and. And Liesl is trying to be flirtatious with him, and he's become the stiff character. You know, he's he's the nation has now taken the place of an ordinary teenage romantic interest. You know, hmm. and that tells you automatically right there that you're in the grip of a power that's 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 overwhelming ordinary human interests and concerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's that kind of nationalism that, that, that is, is, is utterly demonic, it's, hmm. it's, it's uh, it, is idolatrous, at the very least. That's the sort of thing that, that I think we need to steer clear of.
0: Do you think in that regard, uh, what, we refer, what you're referring to as nationalism in a spiritual sense or a devotion or allegiance yeah. sense, is it similar to empire worship? So thinking about Rome oh, yeah. and the Roman cult or the yeah. cult of Caesar— do you see parallels between those two? Yeah, I think they're related
1: to each other. You know, it, it would be difficult to call the Roman Empire a nation as right. such, but, uh, but 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 I think that I think that's that's true. Um you know the the Roman emperors uh styled themselves as gods and everybody was supposed to, you know, pay obeisance to uh to the Roman emperor, you know, and of course, they assumed that all of their conquered peoples were, were polytheists. Right. So, you know, they, the Romans were supremely tolerant. They just wanted, you know, okay, add the emperor to your pantheon of gods and make a prayer to him and and light incense to him. You know, and of course, Jews and Christians could not do that. And mm-hmm. So they were, you know, this supremely tolerant Roman Empire, um, you know, could not tolerate monotheists. Now, somehow, the the, the Jews were uh, were treated. As exceptions, but then the Christians come along. and The Romans didn't want to um, uh, extend another ex- exception exemption to to the Christians, and so you know, not all the time throughout the period between um, uh, you know between the the death and resurrection of Christ up until the emperor Theodosius, mm-hmm. uh, you know, declared that Christianity was the official state state religion. You know, it the persecution was not constant during that period it would come and go and some uh emperors were were more down on the christians than than others but nevertheless you know they they saw themselves you know we're being tolerant we just hmm. want you to add the emperor to your pantheon of gods and why can't you do that little thing and of right. course believing christians couldn't do that
0: uh, in your mind or understanding if 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 you and i were christians in yeah. 100 common era you know yeah. Seventy years after the resurrection, right. and our Roman uh, overlords yeah. uh, were forcing us. They're saying, "Hey, you need to worship the god of Caesar." How That's much fine. of that is we need to know that you're politically aligned with us? That you're not a, yes. a, more than like religious devotion. How much That's of right. it was political allegiance? Well, they were both very much bound together. Okay, You are both very much bound to bound together. If you
1: if you read the beginning of of Plato's Republic. For example, um, um, Socrates and his friends are coming back from a, uh, a parade in which there are sacrifices being made to the gods. You know, there's certain kinds of symbolism that comes throughout Plato's Republic. You know, the, the, if you were uh, a, a, a citizen of Athens, that meant that you worship the gods of Athens as well. Uh-huh. You know, so this kind of division between religion and politics, or between church and state, that was completely unknown up uh, until. Well, well into the modern era mm-hmm. so yeah so you know for the, for the Romans if you are loyal to the emperor that means you have to um, you have to pay him homage you have to mm-hmm. you have to light incense maybe even maybe even sacrifice an animal to, so, to the Roman emperor
0: so if you and I are again Christians at that era all of our neighbors are looking at us saying yeah. are you a bad guy are you an enemy now because of your faith yeah. or are you still exactly. one of us or are, are you do That's we have right. to treat you like an outsider yeah uh, in America, we have some of these rituals, these yeah, cultic right. practices. Yeah. Um, at many of the sports gatherings, yeah. uh, there's a moment before the game begins where everyone yeah. is invited to stand up yeah, and take right. your hat off and place yeah. your hand on your heart as we right. sing yes. our national anthem. That's right. And if people choose to not do that right. or kneel or make some sort of other – demonstrative posture yeah. their general feeling is suspicion yes why right. are you not falling in line yeah. now we don't call that religious devotion but it very no. much feels like um, religious practice you, well,
1: it, ca- it, it can you be think? you know i don't yeah i don't think there's anything objectionable to having um people sing the national anthem you know we have our own national anthem here mm-hmm. in in canada a little bit more singable in the American anthem because the, the Star Spangled uh-huh. Banner has too wide a vocal range oh, for, uh, for most ordinary people with ordinary voices, you know. But the, it's, uh,
0: David, I couldn't agree with a, There are thousands uh, of YouTube videos of yeah. singers butchering the anthem oh, because oh, it's... Oh, it's awful. Well, well when I was in <laughs> elementary school, when I was in elementary school
1: in the early 1960s, we, ne- we never sang the national anthem. Okay. It was always, my country tis of thee. yeah. Uh, which is set to the tune of God save the king incidentally yep. you know mm-hmm. and and or or else it was the um um uh, America the Beautiful okay you know yeah. which uh-huh. and they're both far more singable than yeah, um, than that. the star spangled banner but you know I, I mean that's just an aside it, it really doesn't have much relevance to what we're talking about here but uh, but um, but you know there's nothing wrong with um uh, was singing in the, the national anthem, or you know, paying respect to one's country and its institutions, and I think that's mm-hmm. that's a very good thing. But but about thirty six years ago, um, a member of my family and I went to church. It wasn't our own church, but it was a church in one of the suburbs of Chicago, one of these mega churches, and it mm-hmm. was on the Sunday closest to July four, and uh, uh, we we sat down. We looked at the bulletin. The whole service had been taken over by national hymns uh-huh. pledge of allegiance to the flag um believe it or not at the expense of actual christian hymns or uh-huh. the psalms or whatever they might, might might be singing well we looked at each other and we got up and we walked out of there and you know it just was more than i could stomach sitting uh-huh. through a kind of um patriotic you know and patriotism is, is a good thing but i think that that kind of patriotic display in the course of an actual church service that that made us very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. very uncomfortable and that's the sort of thing that i that i wouldn't like don't don't particularly
0: like to see yeah i mean could you Uh, imagine uh paul writing to the corinthian or the colossian church and saying hey make sure that on the roman holidays you honor the emperor (laughs) and pray to him and offer i mean it's i think you're right that that Patriotism and nationalism often get conflated, but they are distinctly different in that one, why don't you help us talk a little bit about, you know, understanding nationalism in, in contradistinction to patriotism.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, well, I think, you know, Patriot, you know, patriotism, it has that word, um, patria, which, which is fatherland, you know? So let's make a, let's make a a comparison to the love that we have for our own parents. Mm. You know, my, I, I miss my parents terribly. My mother died in, in May of this year. My father died three years ago in 2020. You know, and, and uh, but but they were they're such large in the life figures, you know. And I love them fiercely. And I'm I'm going to get a, I think I'm going to get wet eyes as I'm talking about them here, you know. And, and uh, uh, but you know, I, I love my parents. I love my birth family. You know. Uh, um, I think we can love our country. Not just our country, but even our local communities, our neighborhoods. There's a certain love that we have for the communities of which we are a part, and that's entirely legitimate. Mm-hmm. You know, so love of country, however we define country, uh, you know, whether it's the community that's formed by the state, by the by the by the, 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 the political community, whether it's a, a a local community, whether it's an ethnic community. You know, I I have um, Greek. Uh, my father was was born in Cyprus. Of so, uh, uh, you know, Greek Greek was his mother tongue, although he also grew up speaking um, Turkish and French and English as well. But uh, but um, you know, if you look at a, a a a film like My Big Fat Greek Wedding. You know, mm-hmm. which is—I right. <laughs> uh, I, swear—that Gus Portokalos was patterned after my dad. I you know, you give me any word in English, and I give you the Greek root. You know, my father was doing that all the time you know, when, we, when <laughs> we were growing up. So it's not—it's 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 not completely uh, fictional. But you know, I mean, you can even love these kinds of of, of Greek ethnic traditions, you know, or Hungarian, or or uh, or German, or, mm-hmm. or what 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 have you. You know, that's perfectly legitimate. But but all of these. Our, our, our loves that are loves um, that are ultimately subordinate to the love that we have for God.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. This
1: is something that Augustine understood particularly well, you know, that, 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 that virtue, he said, is the right ordering of things loved. Mm. And if we love something in God's creation, above God himself, then we are members of the city of this world, mm. rather than of the city of God. But people who are members of the city of God have rightly ordered their loves. They love God above everything that he has created. But that doesn't mean that we don't love our families. It doesn't mean that we don't love our nations or our our political communities or our neighborhoods. Um, It it means that that we recognize the right ordering of the loves and that we love God above everything else.
0: So patriotism being... Almost an extension of family love. Like C.S. <S. S>. Lewis yeah, in his book, yeah. The Four Loves, talks about it like yeah. that, that: that I love my family perhaps yeah. more and uniquely yeah. than I love your family. Yes, that's but right. I don't, yeah. But I don't yeah. supremacize them. I don't say, well, therefore, no, my right. family is somehow better than yours yeah. and should be in charge right. of yours. Yeah. Uh, in fact, yeah, I expect right. you to love your family. In the same way that I love exactly. my family and that's your right. nation yeah. and people the yeah. same way I love my people and nation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I don't need to denigrate yours in order yeah. to elevate mine. That's right. Yeah, that's
1: right. And that's what these, these ideologies that I write about in my book, um, these kind of proximate loyalties, they don't like them. Right. You know, they, they, they try to, to flatten them out as yes. much as possible, you know, that, that, that um, you know, there's a lot of confusion in our societies today about, about marriage. As well, you know, because mm-hmm. we want to see it as simply a, a voluntary association. The idea that it's a that it's a thick institution that has um, that has uh, um, you know intrinsic characteristics that are given by God himself. You know, that's the sort of thing that, that we don't like to to think about in our in our society, in the larger society. Mm-hmm. But I think um, you know the, the the various ideologies try to iron these things out. You know, everything is either a, a voluntary association or is simply a division of the state or the, or the nation or, the, or the, uh, the, the economic class or what have you. But, and this is where, you know, in the, in the final chapters of my book, I talk about something called pluriformity. The pluriformity of society to recognize that these communities in which we are embedded, that they're simply different from each other. And that's okay. We should be able to accept that and to recognize things
0: for what they are. So with nationalism, nation being some identifiable people group, whether that's religious, ethnic, political, it could also be. And the idea of nationalism not only being a veneration of the nation in some sort of spiritual way, but also the demand that my people are in charge. So when we think about the state and the nation – yeah. Uh, so you you have in America this idea of Christian nationalism, and yeah, we see it in some other places around the world. But here, yeah. it seems to take on the form of its predominantly white, Protestant, right. middle-to-upper-class people as a nation, as a people group, and that that people group needs to be in charge. Yeah. yeah I, that, I, wonder if this, if,
1: I wonder if this is really not so much – um, middle to upper class, as much as to lower to middle class.
0: Well, the the people yeah. being uh, elevated as the leadership oh, would guys? be okay, in that. Yes, very right, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. the the folks that yeah. are oftentimes at the rallies that I've been a part of. Yeah. Uh, blue collar, almost right. across the board. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah. But there's this sentiment of our people, you know, the real right. Americans need to be exactly. in charge. That's in, right, yeah. And the people who aren't the real Americans are usually the people who live on the coasts. Yeah, that's right. The libs, the <laughs> wokes, the, the other, yeah. uh, the communists, the socialists, the Marxists. That's always the other That's right. Yeah,
1: that's in right.
0: distinction uh, from real Americans. Is that unique to us or is that going on like in Canada or anywhere else in the world?
1: Oh, I think throughout the Western world, I think um, th- this, this sort of thing is happening as well you know there there have been a number of leaders um uh you know in very in hungary and poland brazil under um Jair bolsonaro uh, you know it's a similar kind of a kind of a figure uh, you know and 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 i i want to be careful because i don't just want to dismiss such people and their concerns because mm-hmm. i think i think they have they have legitimate concerns. I mentioned my grandfather, who was, who was work, working in this General Motors plant in Pontiac, Michigan. I think there were two at that time. You know, my mother, um, when she was out of high school, was working for a short period of time for a short-lived automobile company called Kaiser Fraser, which, uh, which, uh, um, um, which was located in what at that time was the largest building in the world, the, the, the former Willow Run bomber plant um, outside of Detroit. You know, and it's, uh, and that's that's where she was working. Mm. Uh, you know, so so the people, uh, even when I when I was growing up, there, were, there you had people living in these towns. That South Bend, Indiana. I got I got mm. my PhD at Notre Dame, South Bend, Indiana, South Bend, Indiana. The Studebaker Corporation tended to dominate. Uh, you know, there, there was Bendix, other manufacturing um, uh, firms that that left for for cheaper labor you know and so there are people living in these communities especially in places like ohio indiana uh you know that 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 are really suffering uh Mm -hmm. because of of changes in the economy in which they were left out and you know at one time the democratic party was the party of of the working man and that's Mm -hmm. where where my you know my grandparents on my mother's side they were supporters of, of franklin roosevelt's new deal and for and for good reason because they thought that he was the one who was going to do something to, to make their lives better. Um, that's not the case with the Democrats anymore. The Democrats now have come to be seen as the party of the, um, of the uh, um, you know, the, the, the white collar workers, the people mm-hmm. who sit in front of computers all day and, and work there and people who, as you said, live in the coast in the large cities and so forth and, and their, their concerns are not so much with the people living in you know, small town Ohio or Indiana or Pennsylvania. And uh, and so things have changed quite a bit over the last um, about maybe two or three generations. Mm. And and, and I don't want to just dismiss such peoples. I don't want to call them baskets of deplorables, as as Hillary Clinton did, because these are real people. They're created in God's image. They have real legitimate concerns that, that need to be addressed politically in some fashion. And unfortunately, neither
0: of the political parties in the United States is doing that adequately. So, David, there's very real concerns, very real pain. There's lament of a lost past. Uh, There's financial concerns and loss. And many in America, and it seems like around the world, are clinging to a version of nationalism, a religious nationalism here in America, Christian nationalism. Uh, So, there are very real concerns. Is Christian nationalism going to get people what they want?
1: It will not. And this is typically what happens if uh, people follow an ideology for a while, and then it turns out to be spiritually bankrupt. Mm. I think I'm I'm willing to use that term. But it also proves not to work because it is based on a misunderstanding of human nature and what human beings are. So once they abandon faith in one ideology, then they tend to, Follow another one, hoping that things will work out better for them. So they leave liberalism behind, you know, that there's classical liberalism, that, uh, you know, capitalism, if you want to call that, uh, the, the market economy hasn't worked for them so well. They leave that behind, and then they want to, okay, we'll, we'll try for socialism this time, or we'll try for nationalism. But that doesn't mean that, that it's going to work for them, and typically what happens is that it does not work for them. Hmm. And 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 it brings other problems along with it, that then have to be dealt with by not just governments, but by a
0: whole variety of of um, communities and social formations. Hmm. So, what might be some of the shortcomings of religious nationalism?
1: Um, it expects things to. Well, it expects that. Um. It expects that that solutions will come about through some simple mechanism. Hmm. Okay. If we just shut out immigrants, then everything will be fine. Hmm. You know, if, if we just um, you know um, go back to the coal mines and the, you know, and 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 bring back coal, then then things will be fine again. Hmm. If we just do this or that or the other thing, um, then things will be fine again. We'll we'll have what our grandparents had in the 1940s and the nineteen 19- 1950s and of course that that's not going to work we've moved beyond that Mm
0: -hmm. Um, yeah would you say that nationalism is usually focused backwards meaning it's looking backwards on something that it wants to reclaim again
1: it possibly yeah but not necessarily okay Okay. so you know i mean certainly under under um national socialism you know under under hitler and the the nazis in, in germany they looked back to the supposedly pure, uh, you know, German folk. This yeah, German, the golden German, German era people. Yeah, golden era. You know, and and, and Mussolini as well could look mm-hmm. back to the Roman Empire and wanted to try to, you know, build a new Mediterranean empire and, and, mm-hmm. in North Africa and, and East Africa uh, by conquering Ethiopia mm-hmm. and so forth. You know, so so, but not necessarily because sometimes sometimes uh, nationalists have uh, a view that, wow, you know, we have been um you know for for generations we have been controlled by foreigners Mm. who don't speak our language who don't know our ways we want to be liberated from them and we will have a glorious future once we are liberated Mm. from Mm. them and everything will be better
0: after that point Ah. so as you're saying that i'm thinking of uh 1980s the troubles in ireland right and this conflict that was happening, is that a version of like an ethnic nationalism where the Irish are saying, we don't want your rule, we want to rule ourselves?
1: Yeah, I think that, that that's part of it. Yeah, the, the Ireland situation is complicated by the fact that you have so many um, Protestants living in, in Northern Ireland who want mm-hmm. to be part, remain part of the United Kingdom. Although, um, last I heard, they might now be in a slight minority status. Hmm relative to Catholics in Northern, Northern Ireland, but um, I, I, I've not seen um, um, confirmation of uh, of that. But um, I'm, you know, I, I, I could use um, uh, maybe maybe Greek nationalism in the 19th hmm. century. You know, there had never been a country called Greece. Mm-hmm. That that was completely new. You know, the, the Greek Revolution began in 1821, and then it took another decade before this new kingdom of Greece. Uh, was recognized by the great powers as being uh, an, in, an independent state. Okay. Uh, uh, Greece had never in, existed before. You know, mm-hmm. there was there was there was the Byzantine Empire, but that was simply the late Roman Empire that happened to be Greek-speaking at the time. But uh, but but Greeks wanted to wanted to have a well, they wanted to revive Byzantium, I suppose. That was mm-hmm. so. They was looking to the past, but they also thought that that if they could gain as much territory at the expense of the declining Ottoman Empire. The things would be a lot better hmm. and and my father's native island of cyprus was caught up in that as well because it was um in the 1950s uh late 1950s there was a guerrilla war uh being fought by by people who wanted to unite cyprus with uh, with greece despite the fact that there were a lot of turkish cypriots maybe about 20 percent of the island hmm. um some of whom i found through DNA testing are, are relatives of ours, you know, that oh, wow. Greek and Turkish Cypriots are actually related to each other, you know, and sure. you, you, might, you, know, you might not get them to admit that, but it, but it is true. We <laughs> have almost no DNA in common with people living in Greece, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, but, you know, that's, that's the sort of thing, this, this ethnic nationalism about which, admittedly, I have a blind spot, because this is what led to the division of Cyprus in 1974, just, you know, almost half a century ago, and all of my relatives became refugees as a mm-hmm. result of the, the, the troubles in 1974 in Cyprus, including my elderly grandparents, mm-hmm. who were born in the late 19th century, you know, and, and had to endure being exiled from their homes for the rest of their lives. Uh, so this is why, you know, for when I think of ethnic nationalism in particular, uh, I have, a, um, I have a, an emotional block, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that I, I have difficulty, difficulty seeing the goodness in, mm-hmm. even though, you know, my... my um, Studies tell me that there is good in everything, in God's mm-hmm. creation, in God's mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, even, even the worst of um, ideologies have something positive mm-hmm. to, um, to contribute.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, just kind of as we conclude our time, you end your book with some really, really good thinking and articulation of that good thinking in how followers of Jesus can live in the space that they find themselves in under whichever governance or or idea. Talk a little bit about, if just for those of us that are listening, most of us are Christians living in America. How might uh, Scripture, the teachings of Jesus, and the Christian tradition shape our view of how we operate civically in this world? Right,
1: right. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, I – Towards the end, I I um, talk about something called pluriformity. Mm-hmm. You know, the pluriformity of authorities, or the plur, pl, societal pluriformity, if you will, which simply means that that we are embedded in, in a diverse diverse communities, you know, simultaneously. You know, so mm-hmm. I am at once a member of a particular family. I'm also a citizen of. I'm a, happen to be a citizen of two countries, United States and Canada. Uh, you know, I'm a uh, um, I'm a, um, a husband in a marriage. I'm a father to our to our daughter. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm maybe a ma- I'm a member of a particular church community as as well downtown Hamilton. Uh, you know, we are we are members of various communities to keep that before us at all times and to recognize that these that we need to respect the integrity of these communities. Mm-hmm. So very largely, it means to to be careful not to fall prey to. The, the promises the false promises that are given by these ideological visions. Now I have another book that's coming out in in November of next year. Okay. That uh, yeah the the um, uh, the the working title is Citizenship Without Illusions. And oh, the illusions okay. in like the that. illusions in this title is an allusion to the illusions in the title of <laughs> title of the first, first book. Very good. So you know so I'm dealing with some of the like the progressive and the conservative uh, polarity mm-hmm. and some of these other things as to how we can be good citizens in our particular polities recognizing you know if if our vision has been clarified by recognizing the false promises that these ideologies um offer us then then how you know how then do we live how how do we how do we live as disciples of jesus christ in the world in our respective polities so so that's going to happen uh, uh, you'll find out about this next november when the when this next book comes out.
0: Oh, that's great. I can't wait to read it. Uh, So David, where can people find you and your work? Yeah,
1: Uh, they can, uh, I have a blog called notes from a Byzantine, right? Calvinist. (laughs) And it's on, it's on blogger. You can find it very, very easily. Um, uh, if you just put in my name, David Koises, K-O-Y-Z-I-S, or Z-I-S, if you're American, um, you will, um, you will find me very, very easily, and you'll find the whole lot of things. You'll find connections to the books that I've, that I've written. You'll find my blog. Um, um you can, you can find me on, on Facebook. I'm, I'm on Facebook as well. I have an author's page that you can like. Um, I'm pretty close to the 5,000 limit that Mark Zuckerberg and company have imposed on Mm. um, people on Facebook, but you can, you can find me nonetheless and follow me. Uh,
0: And um, yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Very good. Well, David Koisis, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been a pleasure.